Hello and welcome everybody to the Great Inflation versus Deflation Debate, Part 10, The Doom That Came to Cyprus. Uh, this is Nate's um, next entry into this debate series that has been fantastic so far. Uh, link to the blog post in the description. And I think I'm going to put, uh, try to put like a, some kind of document together that has all of them in one spot so you don't have to flip through all the videos, even though that would probably help my video stuff at some point. Um, but anyway, getting into it. <clears throat> The great debate, the doom that came to Cyprus. <clears throat> it is with no small amount of sadness that I must now face the fact that I am not going to get out of this debate without having to explain malinvestment. It appears in order to counter Vox's deflation via credit reduction claim, this is absolutely necessary. So, <clears throat> M1, TSM2, Z1, what is it? As I stated before, <clears throat> you, you've already answered that question for yourself. Vach can write poetic and convincing lines about the esoteric nature of credit money. He can explain how <clears throat> paper just re represents the claim on this or that. None of it will change the fact that when you hear about what's going on in Cyprus, you have a primal urge to run to the bank and get <clears throat> all of your cash out. You want the cash. That's because the cash you want is money for now. The, deb the debit card is very convenient, no question, but by now you are probably looking at it with much more cynical eye than you were a month ago or so. Good. Now, that is one way we know Vox's Z1 claim is not the best option available. There's another way to demonstrate it as well. We'll start with Vox's own words. <clears throat> the creation of credit money always has an immediate effect on prices because it increases the applicable, applicable demand. I shouldn't need to draw any SD curves as we can see the effect <clears throat> that expanding loans uh, Expanded home loans had in the housing market, the increased student loans have had in the price of tuition, and even in the healthcare market, where governments borrowed the money that is used to pay for the free healthcare delivered to <clears throat> in, indignant patients. No cash is being printed, and yet credit money is being created, transactions are taking place, the prices are rising. While these effects are localized to the relevant markets, I suspect the reason why economists historically failed to connect them to the broader increase in price levels is that usually, that is usually described as inflation is because until recently, relatively recently, it was not possible to obtain general pre-approved credit for even the smallest transactions. Haha, <clears throat> credit creation is inflationary, says Box. We know this because uh, price is affected. Sure, if one looks. At one side of the coin, is it in, it's inflationary. Vox neglects to consider uh, all money that is sitting in a savings account rather than being sent, spent. Uh, that money reduces demand and thus offsets the inflationary effect. The government has to take some action to eliminate the savings link before inflationary effect <clears throat> is really going is really going to be obvious, and that is exactly what they have done, as I explained in the previous post in the debate. I have uh, I hate to haggle about every little thing, but Vox is blatantly wrong about this statement about small purchasing general credit claim. <clears throat> Historically speaking, we've had credit-based small purchases as long as we've had stores, and the stores provide the credit, not the banks. Regardless, it, will, it was still credit being used for purchases. But let's take Vox's standard for demonstrating inflation, price, and apply it to Z1's claim. 
shall we? Let's review the claim. Vox says Z1 is the best measure of the money supply. I say it's TSM2. In 2008, <coughs> we saw Z1 being uh, begin to decline in July of 2008 and didn't start to climb again until October of 2010. At the same time, we saw M1 and TSM2 begin to spike. And that spike has continued through today. So let's look at the prices between July of 2008 and October of 2010. What were they doing? Literally, literally every single area, gold, silver, literally everything, prices went up. Uh, whatever it was you were going to buy, you were going to pay more for it. There is one, only one exception to this, and that is real estate. <clears throat> What's important to note and this is exactly what the Austrian economics says should happen. Though government interference and general banking shenanigans, we created artificially cheap credit, which leads to a bubble in real estate. It leads to a massive influx in capital that was pouring into new housing construction. And the fact is people didn't actually want the new homes. We call this malinvestment. Look, uh, this is a damn important, uh, so pay attention. It's not just important to my case. In this debate, it is the economic concept that is largely ignored in modern economics, and if you don't understand it, you are going to get hurt. I'm not just trying to score points here. This is a big deal. Malinvestment is what happens when the company produces something no one wants. It is the single most malignant economic force there is. It is the force multiplier for pain and misery. It is not. It not only eats up the resources to create the items no one wants, it eats up the resources required to unmake all of the means of production, the opportunity cost of those working for and with the company that created the things no one wanted, and the cost of unmaking all that, all the things no one wanted so that the resources can be applied to something people do want. Let's say I start a company, and my company is going to make bus. We're going to make bus of human buttocks out of the feces of those buttocks eject. I want to make sure you understand that according to John Maynard Keynes, this would be a positive economic activity. I am not, after all, going to employ a lot of people, obviously, and there will be a production facilities and packaging and marketing and all these things that are job creators. John Maynard Keynes says, my company is helping. <clears throat> That's because John Maynard Keynes was a moron. No one, exactly no one, is going to buy my rude product. Somewhere, a whole factory that could have been producing cool motor motorcycles or personal jetpacks or something awesome like that was occupied making poo products and dysentery. My company is going out of business. All of the money that was dumped into this, into capitalize, it was dispersed hither and yon. The factory has to be, okay, well, realistically, it probably has to be burned down and rebuilt completely, which takes up more resources. All the employees have to be retained to retrain to work in new factories, it's a nightmare. Now let's look at how malinvestment applies to the U.S. housing market. Jump on Google Earth and look around Florida. You'll see a whole, see whole unfinished neighborhoods where there are streets and sidewalks poured and laid and no houses built. You can see that in places from Tennessee to Arizona, many of these houses that got built during the boom are now sitting empty and slowly collapsing on themselves. Before any of land can be used for something people want these empty streets or those collapsing houses have to be unbuilt so not only did we spend money to build something no one wants before we can build something someone does want we have to spend the money and resources to undo what was previously done and the key here though is that you have to <clears throat> have a bunch of things for sale that no one wants you have to have things that literally 
that are literally worth zero. And all inflation is like division. It cuts up purchasing power into smaller pieces, uh, but something sometimes, but something that has no value to anyone has no price to divide. Uh, zero divided by 100 is, well, in monetary terms, it's zero. In 1990, or not 1990, 1900, something uh, no one wants costs zero. In 1950, something no one wants costs zero. In 2013, something that no one wants still costs zero. Clear? Good. So, Z1 is going down, and TSM2 is going up, and prices are going up, except in the one massive area where the malinvestment bubble pops. But Vox's own metric, he is wrong. <laughs> it's really time to move along now, but before we can do that, I really need to answer Vox's question. Sadly, some of those, these are less impactful now than they were over the weekend when the events were actually unfolding. I apologize for not being able to respond quickly enough to make predictions that could be reasonably judged. I simply did not have the time to produce the quality response. Box asked, if the expected outcome is, as he suggested, inflationary due to the central bank printing press, why has the European Central Bank not simply used the bank holiday to print the required 3.5 billion euros, allow its customers to withdraw as much, and allow its customers to withdraw as much as happens to suit them? Not being a European Central Banker, they didn't think to inform me of their decisions, so I can't actually say. I can think of a number of reasons, but it's all speculation. These reasons range from simply hating Cyprus and wanting to punish it to hating paper money. I lean towards the notion that Cyprus was an experiment. Printing the money <clears throat> was not part of the experiment. I believe we have some statements to support this point of view. Why is the ECB risking the Cyprot banking system, the wrath of the Russian depositors, and the fate of the European Union itself? on the various schemes rather than simply printing the cash and permitting its withdrawal. Again, the proper answer here is I don't know. The motives of the Euro Trash central, bank, uh, central bankers are beyond the kin of decent, moral, economically non-suicidal people. I think I can reasonably say, though, that just <clears throat> they just don't think it was as big of a deal as you do. They even thought of leaving the Russians a nice way out, which suggests that they are well aware of the dirt nap uh potential beforehand. I do feel it is necessary to point out that there is a very important distinction between won't and can't, and one thing into a quiet, and one can get into quite a quagmire when the two are confused. They certainly have the ability to print the money or create the money from thin air if they see fit to the magnitude of the Cyprus crisis in perspective. Remember, we're talking about 16 billion euro uh, now that sounds like a lot of money until one considers the current public debt of the EU, which is 14.9 trillion euro. So I'm not quite certain that the central bank is terrified of the 0.11% uh, increase in public debt. I just thought it would be nice to demonstrate just how these numbers are to central bankers. Do you realize we are at a stage where 16 billion euro is nothing? Again, this supports the claim that Cyprus was an experiment. For uh, more perspective, the Fed monetized $204 billion in the last two months alone. Uh, so see, $16 billion just isn't that big of a deal. Imagine as an American analogy where the bank with billions in deposits already emptied of all its cash was simply shut down without the usual FDIC shell game of transferring its deposits to another bank. Would this be defla deflationary action? Yes. <clears throat> Moving on. The question... Uh, can't versus won't is a big one because 
the answer to the question is critical to Vox's case, the deflationary position at the risk of overstepping Vox here is that the central bankers have their hands full just keeping things at par while they would like to inflate. They are doing everything they can and they just can't get it done. Vox has elaborate and well-responded explanations for why they can't. I concede that Vox, <clears throat> Vox asks, can you break the credit link? Sadly, the most well-reasoned explanation must bow to observable reality. I must quote Vox here. The narrower sense of fiat money is clearly the sense of Mises was using in terms when he declared most of those kinds of money that are not commodity money must be classified as credit money and questioned whether fiat money has ever existed. And previously, so we recognize that while fiat money can potentially exist in theory, the question of its actual existence in the United States anywhere else is not settled. So, according to Vox and Mises, the fiat money likely never actually existed. Given that, we must conclude, therefore, that both Zimbabwe and Weimar were credit money systems, so hyperinflation is not possible in a credit money system. It just, it has happened. Uh, in fact, it has happened 56 times. And thus, the question of won't versus can't is answered, and Vox is reduced to a a physics professor standing on an airport runway explaining why something must be lighter than air to fly. Uh, Boeing be damned. In the next installment, I will be explaining how hyperinflation works and why it is inevitable. Uh, and then the title is a reference to a short story. Bonus points if anyone spots it. <clears throat> that concludes uh, that one. Um, Listen to the full playlist if you're interested in this, and uh, wait for the next one to come out. Hopefully you guys have a good day. Goodbye.